Good. Like Jared said, my name is Trevor. I'm so excited. I just want to welcome you if you're in the room. And if you're joining us online, I want to welcome you as well. There we go. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. So like, we just did, we, uh, sorry, that's so funny. Was I off the whole time? Okay, good. So we just engaged in a spiritual discipline of giving. It's very similar. Prayer is a very special spiritual discipline because it allows us to communicate directly with the God of the universe. In fact, prayer can be defined as a conversation with the God who created us. Uh, week one of this series, Logan talked to us about the purpose and the posture of prayer. And last week, Jared got to speak to us about praying in every situation. And tonight, I want to talk to you all about the power of prayer. If you're taking notes, that is what I'm calling my message tonight. And some of you all might have tapped into the power of prayer last night, praying that Kansas would win the national championship. I hope you can explain what rock chalk meant, or else you're not a real fan. But the power of prayer is very important in our lives to understand. Because once we, I think we understand the power of prayer, we're going to pray in every situation for ourselves and for others, and which is going to allow us to better communicate with God and have better relation with him. In fact, if you don't hear another word I say, I want you to think about this one thought. We have the power to pray to a powerful God who loves us, who knows us, and wants the best for us. In fact, we all, all just say that with me real quick. We have the power to pray to a powerful God who knows us, loves us, and wants the best for us. In fact, I just want to start by asking, when was the last time you prayed and you felt as if it was powerful? I, I would even go on to say, when was the last time you maybe even prayed? The staff's prayer for this series, that through this series, if you've never prayed before, that you would begin to pray. Hey, have y'all ever underestimated somebody? Uh, in fact, raise your hand if you've underestimated somebody. It might have been, for example, maybe their singing ability. You have a friend and you find out they're about to sing and you're like, someone can leave deaf. But in reality, you hear them sing and you think they're so good that they should try out for America's Got Talent, American Idol, The Voice, everything. Or maybe another example is you have a friend that was char charged with fixing something. And you think, man, you can say goodbye to that one thing because it's not going to be in the same shape. In fact, that's my friend Nick. I feel like anytime he touches something, I get worried that it's about to get worse. But in fact, he, I underestimated him. It usually ends up in its original condition, if not better. Uh, very recently, I underestimated my ability to have fun at a Justin Bieber concert. We got any believers in the room? Any believers? So for spring break, me and my girlfriend went down to Texas. I'm originally from Texas. And a little bit of context, for the past couple months before that, she'd been asking me probably like once or twice a week, hey, we should go to the Justin Bieber concert in Tulsa. I'm like, this was my excuse. I said, oh, it might just be too expensive. But that was like me in a way saying, I really just don't think I'm going to have fun. So anyway, we're leaving Texas, and she goes, we're on the road, and she goes, guess who's going to be in Tulsa today? And you, know, you ever say something, and you're like, I really shouldn't have said that. My mind said, oh, we're going to be in Tulsa around the time he starts. So anyway, on the road, we buy tickets, and I get excited because, like, we're going to a concert. That sounds fun. That's a fun thing that we do nowadays. But I still worry, like, man, I don't want to have to listen to a billion girls. I know I'm exaggerating. A billion girls scream baby the whole time. <laughs> but in reality, I had so much fun. 
I've, if, you, if you've been around me for the past three weeks, you might have been noticing that I've been on a big Justin Bieber kick. I'm a believer now. I am in love with Justin Bieber and his, and his music. In fact, there was this country dude who was not about it the whole time. He was just sitting in his chair, and as soon as the song Baby came on, Homeboy was up there. He was like, when I was 13, I, I was like, yeah, you go, boy. Someone else I think I've underestimated in my own life was my younger brother. Anybody have a sibling in the room? Maybe even more specifically, a younger sibling. So my brother and me have a nine and a half year age difference. Back in Texas, I leave behind my dad, my stepmom, and my mom, and my brother. And we have a 10 year age gap. And whenever I was a freshman at the time, I was 14, living with my dad, and we decided to renovate the house. So we start packing everything. Some things are going to go to storage. Some things are going to go to my grandparents, where we're going to stay for the next three to four weeks. And as I'm packing, my brother walks in. He's about five at the time. Remember this. He says, hey, Bubba, he calls me Bubba, do you want to play with Nerf guns? And I'm a procrastinator at packing. I don't know if that speaks to anybody else, but I said, sure. So we started playing. I put some boxes and stacked them and hid behind him and started shooting him. But after like 10 minutes, he just walked out of the room and just left. I was like, okay, he probably got bored. But five minutes later, he comes back in. He's like, oh, are you ready to play again? I'm like, sure. So I hide behind the boxes. I'm able to shoot him twice before I realize that I'm out of Nerf bullets. So I did what every other Nerf person did. You stand up behind what you're hiding behind and just walk out to the first two bullets that you see. And so as I'm standing there, you ever been in a situation where you see something happen and you just can't do anything but freeze and you see the whole thing? One time it happened with me in a car wreck. I watched the whole thing happen. It's scary. But anyway, I see my brother shoot the gun and it's coming at me. Do, 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 do. Sticks in my leg. I'm thinking... If you, any of you have seen a foam Nerf bullet, you know that it's not supposed to stick into your leg. So in that moment, I realized that's not supposed to be there, and it kind of hurt. I ended up pulling out the Nerf bullet, and embedded in that Nerf bullet was about a three-inch sewing needle. My brother managed to grab out of a junk drawer. Y'all, y'all, y'all didn't even know. I was so mad, I wanted to slap him to the glory of God and the joy of all people out of that room. I was so mad. But in that moment, I ended up going on a walk to try to ease my mind and not think about it. And I started laughing. I was like, I underestimated this kid's ability to think. Most, more, more importantly, I underestimated his ability to even think he had a brain. I didn't know they used that at such a young age. But I realized that he used his brain to think, and he uses it to think about real-life situations. And more importantly, in this situation, he used, used it to try to hurt me. And just in the same way, I underestimated my ability to have fun at a Justin Bieber concert and underestimated my brother. I think we under, underestimate God's power through prayer. I don't even go on to say that. I think we often underestimate prayer in general. There's so many things that we try in our own sense to hold on to, things that give us worry, stress, that give us anxious thoughts. And we tell God, no, I think, I think I'm going to take lead on this one. But in reality... We had to give everything over to God as we learned last week so we can experience the peace that only God can bring. In fact, before we get into the power of prayer, I want to talk about real quick that prayer is powerful because we have a powerful God. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now unto him who can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. I think this is so important in understanding why prayer is powerful, that the prayer doesn't reside, the power doesn't reside in the person praying, but rather, it's in the power, the power resides in the person we're praying to. This is what sets prayer apart from every other religion and belief. 
In fact, I want to teach you a real quick word. Maybe you might have heard it. Our God is omnipotent. And it's a big word to explain that our God is all-powerful, able to do anything consistent with his own nature. He can do all that he wills to do, but he won't do all that he can do. I think to understand the power of prayer, we got to understand that he's all-powerful. He can do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we ask or think. This should encourage us, encourage us that through anything, we can give it over to him and we can experience the peace that he gives. But I think on the other part of that equation, he can do all that he wills to do, not all that he can do. There are some things that we pray for that simply just don't go, on, that don't go answer the way we want because it doesn't line up simply with his will. And we see God's will for our life by spending focused time in the word and praying to him daily. In fact, I would go on to say that prayer helps reveal God's will in situations for our life. Now, with that in mind, I want to go through a passage in James chapter 5. So if you have a Bible, would you turn to James chapter 5 with me? Or maybe you're looking on your phone or also up here on the screen. And while y'all are turning there, I just want to give you a little bit of context into what is going on. I thought my brother was really unfortunate because he lived with the perfect child. But James was written by the half-brother of Jesus who lived with the literal perfect child. The book of James is like the blunt New, Ver- blunt New Testament version of the Old Testament book of Proverbs. It has a consistent focus that on faith, without works is dead. But faith, faith it does not come by works. Don't misinterpret me there. But works should be a part of faith. We should be working and acting like God's people. In fact, that's what he's trying to encourage us throughout the whole letter, is that God's people should act like God's people. Throughout the whole book, James teaches the value of prayer. And in chapter 1, he teaches us, to pray for wisdom. In chapter 4, he actually rebukes those who pray from impure motives. And in chapter 5, where we will be, he teaches us to pray in a variety of life situations, assuring us that under God, prayer changes things for the better. And everyone there? If you're there, say there. If not, say, Lord, help me. There we go, there we go. Starting in verse 13, are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Or any of you sick, you should call on the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. And such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. This leads me to my first point, that prayer has power and purpose in every situation. In the first two verses, we see that we're called to be in constant communication with God and how we and when we should pray. I really do think this is why Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. No matter if you're suffering or happy, you're in the valley going through it, suffering a hardship, or you're happy in a great season celebrating, God wants to be there with you. He wants you to communicate with him. He wants to lift those who are suffering out of that despair and encourage them, and he wants to celebrate with you whenever you're happy. And then in verse 14, it says, are any of you sick? You should call on the elders of the church to come and pray over you. Right here we see that this is a person needing to be healed, needing God to intervene. And that person needs to humble themselves as we learned from the posture of prayer. Prayer starts with humility. Humble themselves before God and call on people more spiritually mature than them to come and pray over them. I know anointing with oil in the name of the Lord to a bunch of Baptists, that actually might sound like a little weird and a little crazy. But actually this was a practice in the time of Jesus and shortly after. If someone was physically ill or emotionally or spiritually weak, they should have the leaders anoint them with oil and pray for them. 
Now, this, this took humility, and we know that God honors humility, but it's more the act of humbling themselves before God and acknowledging that, that they need help and need God to intervene. More than anything, anointing with oil was a symbol of divine blessing and healing, assuring them and trusting in the Lord that the Lord would make them well. And in verse 15, we see a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make them well. You might be asking, what is a prayer offered in faith? Another translation goes on to say the prayer of faith. The prayer offered in faith is trusting that God will answer you no matter it's the way you want, but it, Based on that answer, still being obedient to God and worshiping him because we know his plans are better. There are times that when we ask God to intervene and heal someone, that sometimes it just doesn't happen. And I kind of want to address that elephant in the room that maybe you've sitting here and you've prayed for someone to be healed. Maybe a friend or a family member and that just didn't happen. And I just want to be the first to say, I'm sorry, but we got to learn that some things God will answer in a way that we don't want. And like I said earlier, we have the power to pray to a powerful God who loves us, knows us, and right here wants the best for us. Some things that we don't see the way we want, we see our flesh, we see what we want, but God sees something different, and God answers the way he wants. And I think we can rest in that, that the situation was answered for the way it was originally intended to be by God. I think of two people in scripture that prayed for healing and didn't see it, but that's all a bigger picture later, is Paul and Jesus. First, Paul, the great apostle Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, prayed for a healing in his side to go away. He had a literal thorn in his flesh. He asked God to heal him of this pain, but we see later on in Scripture in chapter 12 that he didn't. He actually also revealed the purpose of why he kept that pain, and that was so that the power of Christ could work through him, and Paul learned to boast in his weakness. And in Matthew 26, Jesus, on the night before he was betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, prayed three different times for the suffering, the future suffering, the cross, what we're going to celebrate here in a couple of weeks. He asked for that to be taken away, but at the end of his prayer, he said, yeah, you're, not your will be done. Not my will be done, but your will be done. I think this is so interesting because that has a direct application on us today. If Jesus' prayer was answered the way he wanted it to, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't be sitting here talking about prayer in the first place. But a prayer offered in faith, assuring that God will answer us, maybe not the way we want again, but still being obedient, we see that right here in Paul and Jesus. In fact, have you been praying in faith if you've been praying? Have you been praying saying, no matter what happens, I'm still going to worship you because I know you are better, and I'm going to be obedient to your plans? I just want to encourage you, if you haven't started, that you can start that tonight. Next, in verse, the end of verse 15, we see, if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. That leads me to my next point, that sin affects the power of prayer in our lives. Did y'all know that sin and prayer are closely related? That the sin that you choose to hold on to in your heart and your prayer life are correlated. In fact, in Psalm 60, 66, we see, if I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Sin often hinders the power of prayer in our life. And this is why I think James is telling us to confess our sin to each other and pray for each other so that we may be healed. 
couple weeks ago, Pastor Eddie talked about the power of confession. I think we see it right here in our own prayer life. Confessing our sins helps free the heavy burdens of unresolved sin in our lives and removes the hindrance to the work of the Holy Spirit. And we can surely know that whenever we ask for forgiveness, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Whenever we pray to God and confess our sins, we are forgiven. But it still takes confessing to other people for us to be healed. In fact, if you're not in a small group, I encourage you to get in a small group. But in my small group each week, we have a time of prayer and confession. And I think, not to speak for everyone in the group, I'm pretty sure it's our least favorite part of the week. Having to humble ourselves before God and our friends to say, this is how we've disobeyed God in the past week. But there's power in that. We pray for each other, and we pray for each other regularly that we may be healed. And I see in my own personal walk with Christ that I am better, I'm more light on my feet because I don't have sin weighing me down. What sin do you might need to confess to God tonight? I'd even go on, maybe is there some sin that you need to confess to other people? In the second part of verse 16, we we truly see the formula for powerful prayer. An effective prayer. The verse says, The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Another translation goes on to say, the, righteous, the prayer of a righteous person has great power and it is effective. First, earnest, earnest means it's defined as having sincere and intense conviction. I think most of the world's prayer is simply not effective because it's not of an earnest, sincere heart. A lot of prayers are offered with a lukewarm attitude that asks God to care about something that we care very little about. So, for example, whenever I have a friend in the fall say, hey, pray for me and pray for the Cowboys win today. I'm going to be very reluctant and probably not even going to pray that prayer because I don't want them to win. But we see here that most of the world's prayer is not effective because it's not earnest, sincere. On the other part of that equation It is from a righteous person. Now, this is not someone who relies on their own righteousness, but trusts that their righteousness resides in Jesus. Because Romans tells us that there is no one righteous, no, not one. When we earnestly pray with sincerity and acknowledgement that our righteousness is in Jesus, our prayers produce wonderful results. In fact, what would it look like in your own life if you started to pray this way? How, how would the prayers for the people that you pray for, situations, how would those prayers and situations look if you started praying with sincerity? In fact, I want to just encourage you that tonight we find power in prayer when we pray with sincerity and acknowledgement that our righteousness comes from Jesus. And I think moving on in this passage, James gives us a good example of this, and it's the prophet of God, Elijah. In verse 17, Elijah was a human as we are, And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down with rain and the earth began to yield its crops. And this leads me to my last point that we have the power to pray. Elijah's story is actually found in 1 Kings and 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18. If you've never read his story, I encourage you this week to go on and read it. But Elijah was a prophet of God who lived in Israel at the time of King Ahab. He lived with God's chosen people in the promised land. And we know if we read 1 Kings chapter 17 that in this time of Ahab that Israel was disobeying God and in rebellion with God. In fact, are any teachers in the room, they know that sometimes kids do everything but follow directions. 
Very similarly, the Israelites were doing everything but following God. They were following the false prophet of Baal, which their king, King Ahab, was following. And so in, in, in thoughts of trying to get them to turn from their sin and turn from following a false prophet, Elijah, God calls Elijah to call a drought on the land. And th- again, this was in hopes that they would turn from their sin, turn from following the wrong thing, and so that they would follow the right thing, and that is God. But this kind of had a, a backwards effect. After Elijah prayed for this and told King Ahab, King Ahab and his wife Jezebel, who followed a completely different false god, sent out to kill all the prophets of God. And this set Elijah into hiding. In fact, we see in 1 Kings 18 that Elijah was the only prophet of God left. Elijah knew that he had a power, the power to pray so that people would see who the true and living God is. And while Elijah's in hiding, he gets the faith, he musters up the faith to contest the prophets of Baal, the prophets of who the king's false god was. So they meet at Mount Carmel, and this is actually one of my favorite stories in all of scripture. They meet at Mount Carmel, and they built two altars. One of the altars was for the prophet of Baal, and one was for God. In fact, Elijah was so sure that, that God would show up and cast fire to that altar, he drenched his altar three times in water. But first, the prophets of Baal went, and they call their God, they're summoning their God, and Nothing happens, no response. And y'all, did y'all ever know that there's trash talking in the Bible? Homeboy sounded like Richard Sherman back in 2013. Just talking trash, talking trash. He's like, is your God, is your God busy? Is he meditating? He even asked, is he going to the bathroom? He was so sure that they were, he was not going to show up for them. And in fact, it actually got a little gruesome. They started cutting themselves in desperation for their false God to show up. After that, we see that it's Elijah's turn to call God. And this is what it says in 1 Kings chapter 18. At the usual time for the offering, the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, prove today that you are the God in Israel, that I am your servant. Prove that all I've done at this, at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so that these people know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you've brought him them back to yourself. And if you keep reading, we actually see that God shows up and he shows up in a powerful way and strikes the altar with fire. It's actually so sick. I heard about this one time in children's church and I was scared that if someone was going to call God that I was going to be struck with fire. But it's, it's a cool story and we see that Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. This means that he was a sinner just like you and me. And I think this is the first time I'll ever get excited to say that he was a sinner just like you and me. But that means that we can have this same model of prayer. And we learned that it's not in the words that he said, but it was the posture of his heart. That he prayed earnestly that people would turn away from their sin to follow God through the drought. If we keep reading in 1 Kings 18, we actually see that he goes back to King Ahab after this and says, hey, I hear a rainstorm coming. And what I didn't mention earlier is that a drought would have drastically affected the way the Israelites lived. But this should really encourage us that God hears our prayers. And again, he may not answer them the way we want, but we can rest in the fact that it will be answered the way God originally meant for it to be answered. And also, still trust him and be obedient to his plans. In fact, I think of another person who knows that we have the power to pray, and she's actually part of our community, Miss Lacey Buck. 
Lacey is a part of our young adult community. I asked her if I could share her story about prayer. And this was what she had to say. For 14 years, I prayed diligently for my dad to realize that he needs a savior and for him to accept Christ as a savior. She started this at seven years old. She had the faith as a seven-year-old and understood that we have the power to pray, pray diligently for her dad to come to Christ. She said, I remember being, him being so drawn into the world through things such as money and of things of the world that the God did not want. He was never interested in God and would often get mad whenever I brought up faith. My mom was a strong believer and taught me when I was young to start praying diligently for him to see his need for a savior. So whenever I was seven, I started praying on my knees for my dad every night. And since I was seven, I prayed every day for my dad to come to Christ. Last November, he went through a really hard time. And all throughout the time, I was praying for him to realize that he was sinful, and he finally did. And by realizing that he was sinful, he started asking questions and then going to church and invest, eventually accepted Christ as a Savior. And I think that's something we can be excited about. We can applaud because she understood that at a young age, she has the power to pray for life change for someone. She went on to say, it took a lot of praying and a lot of meditating on scripture. I couldn't do anything in those situations but pray. And the Lord heard me, even though I really didn't feel at times he did. I wanted to stop praying so many times, but I knew that prayer was the absolute best thing I can do. A verse she clung to was 1 John 5, 14. And we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know that he hears us, when we make our request, we know that we will, he will give us what he asked for, what we asked for. I think another cool thing that we have the power to pray for is to, for Jesus to come into our hearts. Uh, Romans tells us that for all have sinned, all have disobeyed God and fallen short of his glorious standard. And if we keep reading on, we understand that there's a price. We earn something for our sin. For the wages of sin is death. We've earned a, not a physical death, but a spiritual death. And that spiritual death causes us to be eternally separated from a good, perfect God. But I think one of the most beautiful verses in all the scripture is Romans 5.8. But God demonstrated his love for you and me by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to pay our debt, to die in our place for what we deserve while we were still sinners. While we were still disobeying God, God was so loving of us that he sent his only son, Jesus, to die in our place for the debt we cannot pay. And it's a simple thing to ask Jesus into your heart. Romans also tells us that if you confess that Jesus is the Lord and believe your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In fact, will y'all bow your heads with me right now? <laughs> 